we've been in a series called The Gospel for the last two weeks, and we're going to talk about the gospel today, we're going to talk about it next week, and we will continue to talk about it in the future, because that's why we're here. That's why we're here worshiping, because we have the opportunity to serve and worship a God who, we, we didn't deserve that opportunity, yet because of his great grace and mercy, has blessed us with that opportunity. And so we are here today to worship his name, here's some teaching from God's word, on the gospel. So I'm going to get you started with something. You might want to write this down. Actually, don't write this down. You actually saw pens getting ready. Now I have to turn off my sarcasm filter here. Uh, 144. 144. Isn't that great? Ah. Boo. (laughs) Okay, you're not with me. Um, it's the solution. 144 is the solution. Do you appreciate it now? All right. All right, you're still not with me. I can tell you it is the most accurate and correct solution for the problem. But it's still, right, exactly, it still doesn't mean anything to you because what? You don't know the problem. I can give you the solution all day long, but until you know that the problem is 12 times 12... You don't appreciate the solution. We've been talking about the gospel. The good news, well, the bad news is that humanity has a problem. And we've been talking about that for the last couple weeks. And, uh, you know, you, you sometimes wonder, well, if you know, we're all Christians. I know my audience today. Most of us here are Christians. Most of us watching on Facebook and listening to our podcast are Christians. And many of us call this church our church home. So if we're already Christians, then why are we going back and talking about the problem of sin? Why are we on this super depressing topic when we could talk about love and grace and mercy and all that stuff? Really, it's because love and grace and mercy don't mean as much unless you understand how great your need is for them. So we've been looking at the problem of sin, not so that we feel depressed, but so that we gain an even deeper understanding and appreciation for what Jesus Christ did on the cross, for the solution to that problem of sin. And it's that solution that I have the privilege to talk about this morning. I'm going to steal my notes. I stuck them under here. We were in Genesis chapter 3 for the last couple weeks, and that's Old Testament. So we're going to go to the New Testament today. uh, Where do you go in the New Testament to talk about the solution to the problem of sin? Basically anywhere. uh, Every single book, every letter in the New Testament contains the solution to the problem of sin. And uh, so, you know, how do you pick which one you go to for this specific series? I picked Romans chapter 5, the second half of chapter 5, because Paul who wrote the letter to the church in Rome here, he actually goes back to the garden where we've been the last two weeks. And he examines Adam like we've been doing and he examines Adam's sin like we've been doing. And he then offers the solution to that problem here in Romans chapter 5. So that's where we're going to be today. Romans 5 verses 12 through 19. It's in your notes there. Let's read the first three of those verses. When Adam sinned, Sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin 
because there was not yet any law to break. He's talking about the law uh, that Moses received, you know, Ten Commandments and the law that you see in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. So it wasn't counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. However, everyone still died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. So sin is the problem. It's a big problem. Sin entered the world through Adam and essentially stained humanity. And we talked about that, so I don't need to go too, too deep into it. Um, but uh, basically, Adam's sin brought death, and death spread to everyone because everyone sinned. Well, James, if, we didn't have, if they didn't have the law and they didn't know they were sinning, isn't that unfair that they would then be stained by sin? Yes, that is super unfair. It's terrible. That's how powerful sin is. One man's decision in the garden stained the rest of humanity. That is very unfair. Unfortunately, it is reality. Sin has broken some major things in our world, and it's broken our relationships. As a real quick recap of last week, Pastor Phil mentioned four relationships that have been shattered and warped by sin. The first is our relationship to God. This is the primary relationship that we were made for. That's why many of us at some point in our lives have just felt like there is a void there. Pre-Christ, there's a void. And we try to fill that void with stuff. We fill it with money, with possessions, uh, with sex. We fill it even with things that are good. You know, we fill it with family and and that kind of stuff. But the more we try to fill it, the the more we realize that those things are completely ineffective. It's because that hole is God-shaped. And that was where we were meant to have this relationship with God, but because of our sin, it's disconnected us from God. It's like we were on the phone and somebody snipped the phone line. Well, we snipped the phone line. So sin destroys our relationship with God. It messes up our relationship to ourselves. You know, think about how we, how we think about ourselves. We don't think about ourselves accurately because of sin. You know, we struggle with thinking too low of ourselves. Um, you know, depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, um, we struggle with that because we don't view ourselves like God views us because of sin. We, sometimes we think too highly of ourselves. We think, you know, well, I'm better than other people or, or people that look like me. We are inherently better. Or we have inherently more value. You know, pride, prejudice, not the book um, that the lady wrote, but, you know, the, or whoever wrote it. I forget who wrote it. But anyway, that, you know, we, thank you, Jane Austen. Yes, literary scholar over there. Um, So we think too highly of ourselves. We can't figure out how to view ourselves accurately. So it breaks our own relationship to ourselves, breaks our relationship to others. I don't even need to talk about that because you guys get that. Uh, We all get that. And then it breaks our relationship to the world, to nature. We have to fight the earth now. We have to till it. We have to break it to eat, to get food. Now, I'm not a farmer. I don't actually have a good tilled earth. Though when I retire and become a hobbit, I would love to have a good tilled earth. But, I, so I, but I, I work so that I can pay somebody who does do that. Basically, we have to work to provide for ourselves. Now we're in the garden. We didn't have to do that. So it breaks our relationship to those four things. And the problem is that we cannot fix ourselves. How do I know that? 6,000 years of human history, we're still dealing with all of the symptoms. If we had figured out a way to fix the problem and we cut out the disease, the symptoms would not persist anymore. But we still have a God-shaped gap in our lives before Christ. 
that we find impossible to fix on our own. We still can't relate to ourselves well. We still war and fight and lie and cheat with other people. And we still, uh, we, our relationship to nature is still busted. We're destroying the planet at an unprecedented rate. None of these things have been fixed. We have not been able to manufacture a solution to the problem of sin. And the main reason we can't do that is because we're sinners. You say, well, you, it is said that, uh, you know, you're either a part of the problem or a part of the solution. We're a part of the problem. And the problem is, once you sin and you've been stained by sin, you're a sinner. You can't get away from it. Have you ever done something really bad and that's hung over your head and you feel the guilt and the shame for all that kind of stuff? Like, you just can't get away from that. The Bible also talks about, uh, Pastor Phil said last week that we're hardwired for sin. The Bible talks about this leaning, like when, when push comes to shove, we lean towards a sinful response. That's our sinful nature. So if we're going to figure out a solution to the problem of sin, it's not going to come from any of us because we're so immersed in it that we can't get away from it long enough to even think about a solution. So if a solution is going to present itself, it needs to come from somewhere outside of sin. It needs to come from something or someone who is sinless. Enter Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 15 through 19. Paul begins to compare and contrast Adam and Jesus and their actions and the ultimate results of those actions. He says there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. The result of God's gracious gift is also very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we were guilty of many sins. For for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Here's a big idea for today. In Romans chapter 5, Paul compares and contrasts two men, two actions, and two ultimate results. Two men, two actions, and two ultimate results. He actually contrasts multiple results, but, and that's what's on your screen because that's what I sent to our tech people, but, uh, ultimate results. I'm going to give, go ahead and actually give you all the fill in the blanks right now. Does that sound cool? You like that? That way, if I, if I miss anything, you still have it. We'll talk about it tomorrow, Monday morning leftovers. So the two men, who are the two men? You guys know this. Adam and Jesus. The two men, Adam and Jesus. The two actions. The first was an act of sin born of Adam's disobedience. You see that in verse 19. The second is an act of righteousness, born of Jesus' 
obedience. An act of sin through Adam's disobedience and an act of righteousness through Jesus' obedience. And then the two ultimate results. Through Adam, many became sinners. Also verse 19. But through Jesus, many are made righteous. So two men, Adam and Jesus, two actions, an act of sin came through Adam's disobedience and an act of righteousness that came through Jesus' obedience and two results. Through Adam, many became sinners, but through Jesus, many are made righteous. We're going to Bible study this morning and talk about how Jesus solves the problem of sin. I think uh, over the last two weeks and what I've said already this morning that uh, I think we all get it, get the problem of sin and how we can't solve it ourselves. And Paul shows us here in Romans 5 exactly how Jesus solves the problem of sin. These five verses contain the entire essence of the gospel. Now, is it easy to boil the gospel down into a nutshell? No. The more you study it, the more you understand about it, and the, the, the greater that you realize the gospel really is. But in these five verses, we have a great look at the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's go ahead and Bible study this stuff out. We got two men. We have Adam. I hope you can read my handwriting. And Jesus, right? Here's Adam. My stick figure game is on point. Trust me. Boop. There's Adam. And he's upset because he stained humanity, so he has a frowny face and a little hair. And then Jesus over here. And uh, he's smiling because he's Jesus. And uh, he always has a beard in the movie. So we're going to give him a beard. And we're going to give him, and he has longer hair too in the movie. So we'll give him longer hair. <laughs> and a little smile. All right, you know what? We're just going to erase that. That never happened. I'm not the artist in my family, so never mind. That, that went way better in my head than it actually did on paper. So... Just going to wipe that from the record and uh, remove that from the Facebook Live video. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so you got Adam and Jesus, and there are compare and contrasts here between the things they do. Let's look at those five verses that I just read and see what Adam did, see what Jesus did. Do this along with me. Pull out your notes, flip, or flip back to the first page. Go to verse 15. The sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. Adam, so we write... Sin right there. And then do this along with me. Group participation. Even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of what? It's right in the text. Forgiveness. And his gift of forgiveness. Yeah, I'm not like going super deep. I'm just reading the exact words that are written there, which is just Bible study, by the way. Verse 16. Adam's sin led to what? Condemnation. That's not a word we like to think about. It's not a fun word. Second half of verse 16, God's free gift leads to our being what? Made right with God. I've got like my, you guys are answering all the questions. Bonus points and stars and stuff. So made right with God instead of being under condemnation. That's pretty good. I like that. Verse 17, the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. That stinks. That is absolutely awful. Death, I'm just going to put death ruled. But even greater than death is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. 
For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death. So death rules, but there is a way to triumph over sin and death, says Paul in verse 17. Verse 18, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. I'm just going to put a little doot-doot because that's already up there. Uh, But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. So new life. Finally, verse 19, because one person, Adam, disobeyed God, many became sinners. And if the story ended there, none of us would be here. But thankfully it doesn't. Because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. This is the gospel message boiled down here. And you'll notice in the compare-contrast that he does here uh, that these are not necessarily one-to-one uh, comparisons. I would think that, you know, if he's doing a, at least in, from, from our, you know, American perspective and American lit and stuff like that, um, if we were doing a one-to-one comparison and you said death ruled, that then the next thing Paul would say would be then, you know, Jesus life ruled. Jesus caused life to rule. But they're not. They're not one-to-one comparisons. And in fact, Paul makes it very, very clear that they are not equal at all. He says that the results of the actions are very different. He said there's a great difference between sin and God's gracious gift. And two times, he says that what Jesus did is even greater than what Adam did. So he makes absolutely sure that we know that what Jesus did is greater than what Adam did. Which is crazy to me. It may not seem crazy to you. Let me tell you how it seems so crazy to me. Because all this stuff over here is ridiculously powerful. Think about sin. And how hard it is to get out of patterns of sin by yourself. How hard it is to get out of an addiction, how hard it is to stop leaning toward sin when that's really your natural option. Think about how because one guy sinned, the rest of humanity was stained. That's powerful. And not in a good way. I'm not saying it's powerful like, wow, her singing was so powerful. That, I mean, it, it is powerful. It is absolutely terrible and negative, but it is powerful. And death ruled. Does everybody die? Yeah. You can't get away from it. And that's powerful. Everything over here is ridiculously powerful. So to tell me that there is something that's more powerful than all of that is nuts. That is a very, very bold statement that Paul is making. But it's true. Everything on this side that Jesus did is not only greater, but defeats every single thing that we deal with on the left side. Let's walk through it. We talked about sin already. I'm not going to go through that too much today. I don't want to depress all of us, but separates us from everything God intended for us to have, right? And even worse, because of our sin, we are 
condemned. There's that word that I don't like. What does that mean, that we're condemned? Well, basically, well, and here's the question that you, that you come to, is if, you know, if God is so loving and forgiving and all that kind of stuff, then how come we're condemned? Why he, can't he just, you know, he made me, he loved me, why can't he just let me off the hook? Romans 6.23, a chapter after this. Paul says, for the wages of sin is death. The wage, what we earn for our actions, what we deserve for that is death. It's a physical death. It's also an eternal death apart from God. If you want to scare yourself silly, I don't know if it's just me, but like if thinking about an eternity where I'm just kind of drifting around in a black void and knowing that there's God existing somewhere and it's not where I am, that terrifies me. Like, I'm scared of the deep ocean where you can't see anything and stuff like that, but to exist in an eternity apart from God absolutely terrifies me. But that's the result of being under condemnation. And through that sin by, uh, by which our sin, you know, leaves us condemned, death rules in our life. Some of us are aware of this. Um, Pre-Christ at some point, if you've accepted Christ, at some point you became aware of this of your great need for Jesus, some of us are not aware that our sin has condemned us. The very actions and the things that we have done have condemned us before a perfect and holy and just God. And I know that's morbid sounding. And again, the question is like, well, if, why can't God just, why can't he just forgive me? Why, right? Forgive and forget. First of all, forgive and forget is not biblical. Um, it, it is... Biblical in the case of, like, something really, really tiny that you can just cover with grace, that's fine. You know, she said something to me, and it hurt my feelings, but I know that wasn't her intent to do that. I know her heart. Therefore, I'm going to have grace and live at peace with everyone. However, there are most situations where you think of somebody needing forgiveness. It's going to cost something. Forgiveness costs. It's an old accounting term. It means to wipe away a debt. If I'm going to forgive you, let's say, uh, say somebody out there, you over there, I don't, know, I don't even know who I pointed to. I can't see who's over there. But uh, let's say you owe me $1,000, right? I gave you 1000 bucks way back in the day, and you were like, I'm going to give it back to you, absolutely. But for whatever reason, you can't. If I'm going to forgive you of that debt, guess what it's going to cost me? It cost me 1000 bucks. I'm not going to see that money again. So I'm going to take the hit of $1,000 to forgive the debt. If I get in debt with the government because, or with the state of Maryland because I was speeding, and they send me a fine, there's a way to get their forgiveness. You know what it is? Pay the fine. It's going to cost me. Forgiveness costs something. Unfortunately, the problem with sin is that since our sin equals death, the only way to be forgiven is to die. When you have one life to live, that becomes a problem. Because even if you only sinned once in your life, which none of us in this room can say, Unless there's any infants in here. I don't think there are any. Uh, unless you can say that you've only sinned once in your life, we're in debt multiple lives. And even if you've only sinned once, you pay it with death, and guess what? Then you're, you're dead. So we're in trouble. <laughs> unless somebody does something else. That, all this stuff, this is only the bad news. But there's good news coming because there's a gospel coming because of this man. Though sin ruled, we can be forgiven from our sin. Something's got to pay the price, right? Remember what I said earlier about something has to 
Uh, if, if we're going to have a solution for the problem of sin, it can't come from one of us, from one of us sinners. It has to come from somewhere outside the sinful system. Enter Jesus Christ, the perfect, faultless Son of God, who the Bible says was born a human and was faced with all of the same temptations that we are. He gets it. However, in his temptation, he did not sin. He remained sinless. All of a sudden, here's somebody who may have the solution to the problem of sin. Somebody from outside of the sinful system has infiltrated our world and walked through it just like we did, only he kept himself from being stained by sin. When he was put to death on the cross, he took our sin upon himself. 1 Peter uh, 2.24, I think, uh, says that Jesus personally carried our sins on his body on the cross. When you even think about the fact that Jesus went to the cross, that doesn't make sense because if he never sinned, then why on earth is he being put to death? But he went to the cross and he allowed himself to go to the cross. He didn't fight it. He was obedient to God, right? Through his obedience, many will be made righteous. He was obedient to God to the point of death, like a lamb to the slaughter is what Isaiah 53 says. And in that moment on the cross, he felt my sin. And he felt your sin. And he felt the sins of every single human being, past, present, and future. They were all laid upon his body physically. And he became, uh, Galatians 3, Paul says that he became the curse of sin for us. He was sinless, but our sin was laid on his shoulders. And when he died, he paid the price. That's how we're forgiven. Because an innocent, sinless man was put to death while bearing my sin. And because he died, that death paid the price for my sin. And I can be forgiven. I can be made right with God. But the cool thing is, well, that's, I mean, the forgiveness thing is pretty cool um, already. It gets better. Because he didn't stay dead. Because he still never sinned, right? He bore our sin on his shoulders on the cross, but Jesus himself never sinned. So he gets down there to the land of the dead and is just like, I don't belong here. He didn't do anything to deserve being sent down there. So what does he do? He grabs the keys and he walks out. I mean, seriously, like, it's not magic. I used to think, I used to think about, you know, Jesus um, being raised to life like, you know, something from a movie where he's, like, hacking apart demons with a sword or something, and, like, with one hand while he's got the keys in his mouth and he's, like, clawing his way out of the dirt, you know. He just walked out because there was literally no reason for him to be there. Death had no hold on him is what the Bible says. It had actually no authority whatsoever because Jesus never sinned. So through that power, he himself not only triumphed over sin by dying on the cross, but he triumphed over death, which is amazing. And even better is the fact that that power that triumphs over sin and death lives in those of us who acknowledge Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's amazing. I have the power now, not through me, because through me in and of myself I am a sinner, but through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that he implanted in me when I 
asked Jesus to be my Lord, I now have another option when push comes to shove. I don't have to lean towards sin. I now have another spirit that helps me to lean away from it and lean towards what is right. So that every day I look more and more and more like Jesus Christ. We get a new life and a new spirit, and Pastor Phil is going to talk about that next week. I just kind of wanted to whet your appetite for that a little bit. He's going to talk about that next week. Bottom line, because of Adam, many became sinners. But because of Jesus and what he did on the cross, many will be made righteous. Worship team, you can come. And uh, just start playing softly. This is the best news in the world. Seriously. The problem of sin is something we can't get away from, but somebody sinless came. He accepted the penalty for our sins on himself. And he didn't do it grudgingly. And because of his great love for us, he now makes that forgiveness accessible. He doesn't say, well, I paid the price for your sin. I died when you deserve to die. And if you want to be forgiven, you're going to owe me. Because what do we have that the guy who made the universe doesn't already have? There's nothing that we could give him that he, that he needs. But because he didn't do it grudgingly, because he did it lovingly, he offers us forgiveness for free because he paid the price already. All we need to do is ask him for it. That's it. Paul says that he doesn't even say Jesus a couple times in these verses. He calls Jesus God's gracious gift and the free gift of God. It is available. He made it accessible. He didn't put it behind a paywall. He didn't put it behind a list of rules that we can never hope to accomplish. He makes it free and accessible to you and me. Isn't that amazing? Praise be to God for what he has done. If you're here this morning or if you're watching on Facebook or listening on our podcast and you don't yet know Jesus, I recognize that most of us here today, that we know him, and I hope that this message has encouraged your heart. I hope that you understand a little bit more about how great our Savior is. I know I, I do, and studying for this message, there I have a deeper appreciation for what Jesus Christ did for me. Not that I didn't appreciate it before, but I just understand it differently and a little bit more, a little bit more full now. But the, for those of you who have not made that decision to make Christ your Lord and Savior, I would strongly recommend that you do so, but I don't want to force you. In fact, I can't. The only way is if you ask Jesus to forgive you. That's it. That's all it requires. And it's as simple as A, B, C. A is admit. Admit that you've sinned. Admit that at some point in your life, and many times thereafter, you decided that you would be your own God and you decided what was right for you. And you took God's place in your, in your life or where he should have been and said, I will decide, I will do things my way. Admit that you've sinned, that you're a sinner and that you need forgiveness. That's A, admit. B is believe. 
believe that what the Bible says about Jesus is true, like what we read today, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, and in doing so, he defeated the power of sin and death, and that the penalty for our death has been paid by his blood on the cross. Believe that, and then see, choose. Choose to make Jesus your Lord. Choose to ask him to forgive you. And it's really easy to do that. I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. Um, all those of us here, we bow our heads and close our eyes. If that's you today, and you say today is the day when I want to ask Jesus for forgiveness so that I can be made right with God, so I can triumph over sin and death, and so in eternity, when I die on this earth, I don't have to be floating in some void, but I can be in the presence of my Savior for eternity. If that's you, here's a real quick prayer that you can pray with me right now. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've done things my own way and that I have sinned against you. But today, I believe in Jesus. I believe he was a real person. I believe he lived a sinless life. I believe that he was put to death on the cross. I believe that he rose again and that he can forgive me of my sins. And today, I choose. I choose Jesus right now. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. Thank you for paying it all for me so that I could be made righteous in God's eyes. Help me to be more like you. I make you my Lord, my King. I will follow you and do what you say. Help me to follow you. Thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.